Welcome to episode 73 of Motivated AF with Katie Forbes. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Katie Forbes. And on this episode, I'm getting really personal. And depending on when you are listening to this, you may be in a quarantine of some sort as we all try to stop the coronavirus from spreading even further. If we weren't living this right now, I would have sworn this is only the kind of thing that happens at movies at this point. Unfortunately, we are learning the hard way that it's simply not the case. There is probably nothing I can say about all of this that hasn't already been said a thousand times, so I'm not going to spend much time on it other than to say that I had been sitting on this story for almost a year, and I was pressed to finally take the time to record and produce this episode, because while the advice may not be advice you can take immediately, I do think it will be advice that you'll want to have when things hopefully get better over the next few months. But either way, I felt I owed it to my dad and myself to share this story and the things I've learned from it. If you'd like to reach out to me, I'm at Katie Forbis. K-A-T-E-E-F-O-R-B-I-S on Instagram and Twitter. You can also email me at podcast at katieforbis.com. That's podcast at katieforbis.com if you have any questions or feedback. And now it is story time. The music was blasting through the speakers. Some of the details of the time period escaped me, but it was sometime around 1998 or 1999. I was around 13 years old. I was riding with my dad in his Mazda Miata. But before I go any further, a little background. The Mazda Miata was a car that my dad had wanted and studied, legit studied, from end to end for years. He had books on the car, he knew all about the different models, he knew the downsides to owning it, and he definitely knew the upsides to owning it. My dad always said that my mom put the final blessing on buying the Miata, but as far as material things go, It was always my dad's dream to own a Mazda Miata. My dad did not come from a background where things were handed to him. Despite not ever finishing college, my dad was an excellent salesman and was able to eventually purchase the car in his 40s. When he pulled up in it for the first time, it was well into winter, but he still had the top down with the music blasting. My little brother, who was around two at the time, looked out the window and with the excitement that only a toddler can muster, yelled, Mom, Dad bought a go-kart. My dad always loved telling that story. When my dad enjoyed something, he knew how to really enjoy it. I'm not sure if that's the best way to put it, but it's the way I remember it. My dad treated that car with respect, and he expected us to do the same. He loved giving people rides in it. And if he really liked you, and you swore you knew how to drive a stick... He'd even let you drive it. When my dad owned something, it wasn't just his. It was yours too. Seeing a loved one get joy out of something was one of the biggest things that gave my dad joy. I am the same way. And despite the hundreds or thousands of times I rode in the Miata with my dad, there are two rides that stand out. The first ride that stands out was the one I had started to tell you about at the beginning. As I said, it was 1998 or 1999, I was around 13 years old. 
I don't remember who gave it to him or if he bought it himself, but my dad had the Billy Joel Greatest Hits Volume 3 CD playing constantly in his car back then. At least he did when I was in the car with him. My dad had a bit of a hearing issue, and that was usually his excuse for listening to music really loud. But in my opinion, the real reason my dad listened to his music really loud is because, well, my dad loved listening to music really loud. Why do you think he had the hearing issue? At least that's always the reason he always gave us when we would ask about it. I don't remember where we were going on that day. In fact, I don't remember much context around this ride at all. But what I do remember is my dad playing River of Dreams by Billy Joel, the loudest I have ever heard a song played in a vehicle before. This is saying a lot. My older brother listened to music really loud, as did I and most of my friends. But no song have I ever heard play in a car as loudly as I remember hearing River of Dreams play that day. I remember that I considered asking him to turn it down, but I looked over and saw just how much he seemed to be enjoying that moment, so I decided to just ride out the slight ear pain. I guess my ears adjusted, or I lost some hearing that day, because the pain stopped, and I just remembered the wind, the music, and my dad shifting gears around turns at what felt like 100 miles per hour but was actually probably closer to 30 miles per hour. My dad would have never put me in harm's way with his driving, but he certainly knew how to make that convertible ride feel like an actual theme park ride. I didn't realize at the time how much I would end up thinking back to that car ride, the memory of seeing my dad in his happy place, the memory of feeling that car shift and turn and hearing Billy Joel sing as loud as you've ever heard. I remember the sound of the piano. I remember the feel of the turns. I somehow remember certain parts of that ride so vividly. It's worth mentioning that although my dad loved Billy Joel, it wasn't one of those things where everyone connected my dad to Billy Joel's music. My dad loved a wide variety of music. His favorite style was probably soul music, real soul music. I'm guessing most people would say they don't believe Billy Joel's songs should be considered soul music, and as far as an overall judgment of his music, I would have to agree with them. But where I have to make an exception to this is how I now view Billy Joel's music on a personal level. So I don't want to offend anyone here, and I don't mean it in the typical way. But for me, Billy Joel's music has become soul music. Meaning that when I listen to it now, I feel it in my soul. A bottle of white, a bottle of red. I feel this connection to my dad that feels so personal and deep. And given that a big critique of Billy Joel's music is that it's overly manufactured and or lacking real soul, this may be difficult for some people to understand. But if you have lost a parent or someone else equally close to you, you may be able to better understand what I mean. The connection I feel with my dad when I hear Billy Joel's music is the same connection I feel with my mom when I hear Tina Turner's music. I have two brothers, and I'm fairly certain that they don't necessarily have the same memories or connections between my dad and Billy Joel the way that I do. It was our father and daughter music. There's no telling how many times I asked my dad to play Uptown Girl.
for the longest time. And he usually accommodated my song requests, and he accommodated them loudly. My dad was an incredible storyteller, and I think a big reason he had a soft spot for Billy Joel's music was because a lot of it was in story form. My dad loved songs that had a good story attached or involved to the song in some way. Another song we used to listen to from that specific Greatest Hits album was Lullaby, Good Night My Angel. I had actually forgotten about this one until I was listening to Billy Joel the other day and it happened to start playing. The memories hit me out of nowhere, like some sort of emotional brick falling out of the sky. At least as I understand it, Billy Joel wrote this song in honor of his daughter, who had been asking questions about where we all go when we die, and whether or not he would one day have to go away too. Good night, my angel, time to close your eyes And save these questions for another day I think I know what you've been asking me I think you know what I've been trying to say I promised I would never leave you And you should always know Wherever you may go I never will be far away. I think it's a beautiful song, and the ultimate message that I get from it is that death is not something a father wants his child worrying about. So despite his own fears, he reassures her that in some capacity, even if it's just through the lullaby, he will always be with her. That's exactly the way my dad was with me. His ultimate message to me always seemed to be that everything would be okay. I would be okay he would be okay, that although he couldn't control everything and he wasn't going to make me a lot of promises about life or what was in store, no matter what, it was all going to be okay, that no matter what happened to him, my brothers and I would be okay. My dad spent a good portion of his life making sure that we would be okay. Looking back, there were so many consistent messages he tried to weave through whatever hard lesson I was having to learn at the time. He taught me how to hold my shoulders back and walk through a dark parking lot without fear. Walk with confidence, he'd say. Let everyone know you are aware of your surroundings and keep your head up. I was around 10 years old when he first started teaching me to do this. My dad wanted me to be a good person, and he wanted me to be someone who could handle the unexpected without letting it completely ruin me. I'm not going to let you fall apart over this, is something I remember him saying when I was being overly dramatic about something happening in my little world back then. The messages and lessons my dad taught me back then have ended up being the very messages and lessons that have saved me as an adult. My dad had no idea what was in store for our family. I didn't either. And thank God for that. Because had I known, I wouldn't have been able to be in the moment riding next to my dad in his Mazda Miata with the top down, the music up, and the wind in my hair. We were there in that moment together. We were both present, and we both let the music take over and bring us joy. As for the other ride in my dad's Miata, although it was a different ear model at that point, I specifically remember feeling connected to and remembering the night that he and I rode together to a Billy Joel concert at the FedEx Forum on March 25th, 2016. 
My mom had only passed almost exactly two months prior from early onset Alzheimer's. And my dad was devastated over losing my mother. I don't think I'd ever seen true heartbreak up close until I saw what my dad went through after losing my mother. She was the love of his life, and it changed everything for him and for our family. Truthfully, our family hadn't been the same for years because of my mom's Alt's diagnosis and subsequent decline. For Christmas in 2015, when my mom was still alive, I'd gotten my dad and I tickets to see Billy Joel in March. I remember as the date of the concert got closer, I worried that my dad was going to back out of going. At this point, he wasn't going out in public as much, and he was starting to spend a lot of time in his room alone. But on March 25th, 2016, despite his debilitating depression, my dad somehow summoned the energy for one night to be the man I remembered riding in that Mazda Miata with so many years ago. For the first time in a long time, the top of the Miata came down, the music went up, and we rode in style to meet my dad's younger brother and his wife, who had ended up with two extra floor tickets to the show. I gave the other tickets to some friends, and my dad and I got to sit just a few rows back from Billy Joel and his piano. It was incredible. My dad kept talking about how blown away he was that we were sitting this close to the stage of such an iconic artist, an artist he had been listening to for decades. I remember certain moments of that night so vividly. I remember riding in his Miata. I remember my dad cutting off a valet parking attendant who was trying to compliment him on his beautiful wife by quickly saying, she's my daughter, she's my daughter, to avoid any sort of weird comments on my appearance. If my memory serves me correctly, the valet guy thought my dad's black convertible had afforded him a much younger woman. I remember him rolling his eyes in the way that was so very much my dad, and us laughing at the awkwardness of the valet guy trying to undo his mistake. And what a beautiful daughter she is, sir, or something along those lines. I remember my dad being amused by all the connections his brother, my uncle, had downtown, and how wherever we went, there was going to be someone who knew his younger brother. I remember us sitting in the bar at the forum with my uncle and his wife, talking about just random life stuff. I remember my dad being so happy for me when Billy Joel pulled the audience to ask which fan favorite he should play, and my favorite Billy Joel song, Vienna, was the song that was chosen. I remember my dad looking at me excitedly with a huge grin when the first few notes from the piano rang out and Billy Joel sang. Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. But then if you're so smart, tell me why are you still so afraid? I remember him looking at me and mouthing along with the lyrics to a lot of the different songs. Oh, this is a classic, he would say when he recognized the beginning of the song. Songs such as New York State of Mind. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Don't ask me why. Oh, every dog must have his every day. Every drunk must have his drink. Don't wait for answers. Just take your chances. Don't ask me why. Or even when the band went into Green Onions, which isn't a Billy Joel song, but the song was still one of my dad's favorites. And when Billy Joel played River of Dreams and transitioned into singing, my dad was in heaven. And for the first time in a long time, my dad seemed to be having the time of his life, 
I didn't know it at the time, but that concert would end up being the last really fun thing that my dad and I got to do as father and daughter. I'm sure there were a couple of good times after that with my dad, but there was an overwhelming amount of bad times too. My dad's depression eventually worsened, his health declined, and despite our best efforts to do whatever we could to save my dad, he passed away in December of 2017. In hindsight, I can see that my dad went to that show for me and probably also for his brother. There's no doubt in my mind that he wanted to be in his room, away from the world, a world that had gotten much darker for him in those last few years. But my dad hated the idea of disappointing his daughter or his brother, so Dean Cook became Katie's dad and Lance's big brother again, the best he could for one night. The very last song that was played that night was Only the Good Die Young. And even though the actual context of the song doesn't truly apply, that one line certainly took on a whole new meaning for me every time when I thought back on that night. Maybe Billy Joel's music isn't really soul music, but it's still soulful to me for the rest of my life. And that's not because of Billy Joel himself. That's because of my dad, Dean Cook. I went to Billy Joel's 70th birthday show at Madison Square Garden last May. I tried not to have a lot of expectations because while I knew it was a very emotional and meaningful concert for me, I didn't want to ruin it by overshooting how perfect it would be. That being said, it was pretty perfect. It was a sold-out show, and I'd been wanting to see him at MSG for a while now. I decided to splurge, and I got six row tickets. From a financial perspective, it almost hurt to click the purchase button when I bought the ticket on StubHub. But I had been thinking about it for so long, and I decided whether life is short or long for me, I wanted that memory. I wanted to hopefully feel a connection again with my dad who had passed away, and I ended up feeling it from the second I walked up to the venue and saw the poster for the sold-out show. I had some stranger take my picture with the banner in the background. If my dad would have been there, he definitely would have been taking a lot of pictures. He loved taking pictures and video. The amount of home videos I am blessed to have now is unlike most of my friends. I've been told by many of them that they wished they had as many home videos as my family does. My dad wasn't often in front of the camera, but he knew he wanted to see us in front of it. When I watch the home videos now, I notice a lot of different things. But one thing that has stuck out to me is how much the adults in the home videos don't want to be filmed. They all say things like, turn that camera off, or oh gosh, Dean, while holding their face or pushing the camera away. It's something I noticed I had been doing when people started filming me as I've gotten older. Why is it that we always think of the shallowest things when we know we are being photographed or recorded? Oh God, I look so fat. Or, ugh, I have a zero makeup on and look like shit. We all try to pretend it's because we are too shy or too humble and self-deprecating and we refuse to be in front of the camera. And I get it. I'm the same way. But if I'm being honest, the reason I don't want to be filmed sometimes has way more to do with my ego than it does my humility or my shyness. I don't like looking imperfect. And I think that goes for a lot of us. But there's one thing my older brother Tripp once told me that changed the way I thought about photos and videos from that moment on. After losing our mother to early onset alts, I remember Tripp telling me, I've always been kind of uncomfortable taking pictures, but now I've realized that the pictures really aren't being taken for me. They are for other people when we aren't around anymore. So I'm learning to be okay with being in more pictures. He was right. Our egos get in the way of so many potential future comforting moments for our loved ones. I can confirm that your kids, family, and friends will not give one iota of a shit about your double chin or dark circles when you're gone. They will be paying attention to everything about you that they miss. Your voice, your laugh, and your smile. They will hang on every word you say once you're no longer here. Even if those words were, turn that camera off. But that's the annoying thing about life. We spend most of it hoping someone wants to hear what we have to say, or read the words we wrote, or look at us. 
And after we are no longer here, that's when they want to hear or read those words or look at us. There's a lot of things that hurt about losing parents, especially at a somewhat young age. I'm in my 30s now, and social media has made me aware of how many people in their 30s really start to appreciate their parents around that age. They post pictures with them and talk about growing up and the memories they have with them. They take pictures with them at baseball games, concerts, or just them playing with their grandkids. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't envious of them. I've always loved my parents. Overall, I'd say I had a great relationship with both of them, but I still didn't really start to truly appreciate the unique and interesting parts of who they were until they were gone. As a kid, you don't really think about how your parents were real people before you existed. They had interests, worries, fears, hobbies, and dreams of their own. They had full lives and stories, some of which you may never know about as their children. It really depends on how much they share with you. So it is tough for me to come to this realization at the same time as most of my peers and yet not have the chance to love them through more appreciative eyes while they were still here. I had a moment with my dad the day he passed. I cried beside the hospice bed in his room, the same bedroom he and my mother shared together for decades. He couldn't speak or respond, but the hospice nurse told me that they believe the hearing goes last, so she said I should still talk to him. I told him he was the best dad in the world. I told him that I couldn't have asked for a better childhood and that I appreciated all the sacrifices he made for our family over the years. I told him I know he tried his best and that it was okay. I told him I would be okay. I promised him that my older brother and I would look out for our much younger brother, Ian. That was actually one of the last things my dad ever said to me and my older brother. Please make sure Ian stays on the straight and narrow. My dad had figured out just how upset I'd been about him being sick and depressed, and in the hospital a few months prior, he had looked at me in the eyes and told me, I want you to know that I want to live. I'm going to live. I promise. It's going to be okay. It was dad being my dad. And the best he could, I believe he tried to keep that promise. But even when he said it to me, it felt like he meant it more for me than he did for him. And that's the thing. When you decide you are done living for yourself, it doesn't matter how much you want to live for others. It can only last so long. At the 70th birthday show last year, Billy Joel ended up playing Start Me Up, which was the same song that started playing when my brother and I started up my dad's Miata for the first time after he'd been sitting in the garage for several months. We both smiled in a bittersweet way, knowing that was probably the song he was blasting the last time he had gone for a drive in the Miata. So it felt fitting that they played it at the 70th birthday show, even though it wasn't even a Billy Joel song. Another thing that struck me tonight was just how important it is, at least for me, to do the things I've always wanted to do while I still have a chance to do them. You should go to the concert. You should go on the vacation. You should have a drink with that friend. You should enjoy the moments while you're still young and healthy enough to really live these moments in real time. And while I don't recommend anyone putting themselves in financial ruin, I will say this. I believe in spending your money on experiences more than material goods. I also enjoy giving others the opportunity to enjoy experiences too. So my husband and I decided years ago that for the most part, any money either of us were driven to make had to do with what we could give to others, to our friends and family, giving them special moments, a house where they could all come over, taking them places, paying for meals, and when necessary, bailing them out of jail. Okay, that's only happened once. It's not about showing off. It's about giving others their own memories that hopefully last forever. I will never regret spending money on that New York trip or that Billy Joel concert. I'm not good at committing and making official decisions. I say these words a lot. Should. Might. Considering. Think. Wish. Maybe. One day. But the older I get, the more I know this to be true. You should go. You should do it. 
You should take the risk. You should splurge. You should do that once in a lifetime thing. You should make the time. You should say the words. You should write it. You should sing it. You should perform it. You should build it. You should do it all. But another thing I've learned is that shoulds ain't shit. Meaning it doesn't matter what we say we should do. I can't speak for anyone else, but I think I've had just about enough of the shoulding. I'm ready to move on to being willing. I will go. I will do it. I will take the risk. I will splurge, at least sometimes. I will do that once in a lifetime thing. I will make the time. I will say the words. I will write it. I will do it all. Or maybe I won't. But at the same time, it's not about doing it all as much as it's about doing all of it that you can and want to do. When I go out of town by myself or get alone for an extended period with my thoughts, I start thinking about how much I worry about stupid shit. How many things I hesitate on. I don't want to ask the question. I don't want to ask for the opportunity. But I should. I'm guessing you remember, though, what I said about shoulds. Since my dad passed away, I've listened to Billy Joel every year on his birthday. And when River of Dreams comes on, you better believe I turn it up as loud as I can stand to hear it. Dad, I've been doing my best not to fall apart. You told me that everything would be okay. And so Trip Ian and I are still here doing the best we can to be okay. Because we still believe you. And although the idea may defy logic, I'd like to think that you're somewhere driving a black Mazda Miata with the love of your life in the passenger seat. And I'd like to think that you are playing River of Dreams as loud as you can, too. But no matter what the truth is, that's where you are in my soul. And where you will remain forever. In the middle of I go walking in the